Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. We are kicking off a new collection of talks today called Mind Monsters, where we're going to be uncovering, where we are going to be ghost busting some of those monsters that plague us all. And I was doing some some research, and check this out. The average person has around 70,000 thoughts per day. Look at your neighbor and say, that's a lot of thinking. Go ahead, tell them, that's a lot of thinking. 95% of those thoughts are recurring. Do you know that? They're not new. So it's the same thought that you thought yesterday and the day before that, and the day before that, and the day before that, 95% of that. And then 80% of those thoughts are negative. 80%. So get this, we have these negative thoughts that are on repeat in our life over and over and over. So on average, everyone in this room has about 50,000 negative thoughts going through their mind. So every time you look at that person sitting next to you and you look at them in their eyes, you just need to know there is a lot more that's happening behind those eyes. Like if we, if there were, you know, say a thousand people here today in this room, you know, through all our our services, that would be, I have no idea. What is a thousand times? It's like a lot. That's like millions, right? It's like 50 million. I think it is 50 million. 50 million. Negative thoughts. That's a lot of stinking thinking that is represented in this room. And so what we need to realize is that our mind is a battlefield. You know that, right? There is a war going on for your mind, and it's a war between God and your spiritual enemy, the devil. Where God wants you to think on things, get this, that are pure and lovely and praiseworthy and noble and true and right. That's what his word says. And the enemy wants to hurt God by hurting you. Because if he can cause you to to live in fear and worry and anxiety and stress, he knows that it hurts the heart of the father who wants the best for your your life. And can I just be honest? We're losing this battle. We're losing. In the last few years, anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. I was talking with a, a couple counselor friends of mine that said this, that between the ages of 18 and 29, there has been almost a 30% increase in diagnosed depression like is that not crazy like this is what we are are dealing with this is what we are are facing and we are not winning this battle that's happening in our our minds and what can happen is a negative thought gets planted in your mind that is put on repeat over and over and it can paralyze you can it not it can cause you to stay stuck it can cause you to live in fear it can cause you to to not step up but to shrink back you know in fear i was thinking about my freshman year at Asbury College in Kentucky, I decided I was going to try out for the baseball team. And I'm not trying to brag, but I had a couple summers of Little League baseball under my belt. And so I thought, why not try out for a college baseball team, right? That makes sense to me. Uh, Because I knew I could spit sunflower seeds with the best of them. I was super good at that. I carried around some Big League Chew in my pocket. Great flavor. Somebody say amen. Great flavor of Big League Chew. And, uh, and I'm like, all right, I might as well try it. And your boy made the team. Of course I did. Come at me. No, I'm just kidding. I had no, I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. But I'm just competitive. I just like to play stuff and let's, let's go. And so it was not that big of a deal. NAIA division. You know, so we played against schools like Berea. You probably never even heard of Berea. Kentucky Christian, Cincinnati Christian, Indiana Wesleyan, uh, 
Center College, Georgetown, not like the big Georgetown, but Georgetown, Kentucky. And I say that because on the Georgetown team, they had a guy who was about 6'5", grew up on a horse farm in Kentucky. I think he was half horse. He was a big old dude. And it was rumored he could throw in the low 90s, which is unheard of in our division. But the reason why he was not playing Division I somewhere was because of this word right here. Ready for it? Accuracy. Anybody see the movie Major League? Anybody ever see that? You know the wild thing? That was this guy. In fact, by the second game of the season, he had killed two freshmen and a sophomore, right? <laughs> Colby, how much of that is true? All of it's true, except the murder part. That didn't happen. I made that up. But in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to hit this guy. In fact, I, I just talking myself out of it is these negative thoughts just on repeat. There's no way. There's no way we get there. And I step up to the plate. And I get ready, and I close my eyes and pray to Jesus. And, and he throws, and guess what? You'll never believe it. I struck out. <laughs> like, I was terrified. I was just happy to walk away from that with my life, right? I just walked to the bench. I'm like, I get to the bench. I'm like, guys, I'm so lucky, you know, kind of thing. Like, he is that fast. I mean, he's fast as they say. And they looked at me, and they say, that's not the picture. That's not the same guy we're all talking about, just so you know. <laughs> they were all fast to me. It doesn't matter. I was terrible at baseball. But the thought is these negative ideas can keep you paralyzed. They can cause you to shrink back in fear rather than move forward in faith. And I still battle this. Like I wrestle this walking out here. I'll, I'll at times have these negative thoughts just rehearsed over and over in my mind. Even while I'm, I'm preaching, the thoughts that say, Kobe, they don't care about this. You know, why, why are you even doing this? You know, like they, they don't know your, your history, your past, your whatever. You're just as messed up and broke as everyone else. I'll have thoughts that say, I think I heard somebody snoring just now in the room. Like all these negative thoughts have plagued me over and over again. And so the bottom line is this. If you think negative thoughts, you will become a negative person. And at 50,000 negative thoughts on repeat per day in our mind, we have to do something about this. Like, no question. We, we have to do something. But if we think like God, then we'll, we will become more and more like Christ. How many of you know it's the thought that counts? Tell your neighbor right now. Look at him in the eye and say, it's the thought that counts. Let him know it's a thought that counts. Because as we kick off this, this collection of, of thoughts uh, called mind monsters, over the next several weeks, we are going to confront these mind monsters head on. In fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to ghost bust the monsters of fear, anxiety, worry, depression. And today I want to lay a, a foundation uh, and talk about one of the most insidious mind monsters of all. And I want to use uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans to get there. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. Uh, that's where we'll be talking from. If you have a paper Bible today, you get bonus points. Uh, if you have your phone, that's fine too. If you didn't bring a phone or a Bible, it will be up here on the screen behind me. But Paul, if you've ever heard of Paul, he's kind of a big deal. Because Paul has this encounter with Jesus, radically changes his life. He goes from Christian killer to help leading this way, uh, the movement called The Way. And what would happen is Paul ended up writing uh, about 30% of the New Testament. 13 out of the 27 books have been penned by, by Paul. And here in Romans 7, I'll paraphrase a little bit, he's, he's, he says this. He says, why is it 
that the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. Does anybody know this battle? Let's be real. <laughs> but the things that I, I, I do want to do, I can't seem to do. He's talking about this, this battle that is all too common in all of us, this, this war that's going on between our fleshly nature our bodies, and our spirit nature is the spirit of God inside of us. And the spirit nature wants to do what is contrary to the earthly, fleshly nature. And so he's saying, I have this battle. Why is it that I can't get myself to do what I want to do? And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. And we all have this battle. We all wrestle with this. Like, I wrestle with it when somebody cusses out my kids, which happened not that long ago. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm wrestling with the flesh. You know, we have it when somebody cuts you off, perhaps, in traffic. You have this battle. How do I respond? Uh, I get it every time I fill up my car at the gas station these days with the price of gas. I have this battle going on. But this is what he is talking about. And he concludes this discussion in 23, verse 23, by saying this. There is another power within me that is at war in my or with my mind. Somebody say mind. This is war. It's this battle he's talking about in our mind. This power makes me slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Have you ever been there? Because sometimes this is a losing battle. Oftentimes we, we do the things that we don't want to do. And he's like, man, I'm just, I'm a wretch. I'm a miserable person. I can't get my act together. What's wrong with me? says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by, by these terrible thoughts, that is dominated by these mind monsters, that is dominated by this, this stinking thinking. He says, dominated by sin and death. Somebody say, dominated. Dominated. How many of you know your life will always follow the direction of your dominant thoughts? Always, 100%. You are going to go that direction as you think, you know, you are. And this is the battle that's happening in our minds. There's this war. And 100% of it is right here. 100% of it is in our, our mind where we have to decide, am I going to obey God's spirit inside of me and do what God wants me to do? Or am I going to do what I want to do and, and give into the, the flesh side of me? And as I said before, we are losing this battle because our mind is crawling with my monsters. 50,000 per day on repeat. 50,000 thoughts, 50,000 even lies of your spiritual enemy. In fact, here's a good definition of mind monster if you want to write this down. Um, and we all know that God does not have favorites, but I do. And those are the note takers in the room. So if you want to write this down, a mind monster is this. I'd say any thought or idea that wages war between who you think you are and who God says you are. That's really what it is. It's this, this, this conflicting thought, this battle in our mind. Any thought or idea that leads to this emotion or feeling that we have that does not come from God, it comes from the enemy who wants to wreck your life. It's any thought or idea that, that, that counter contradicts who God says we are versus who we say we are. Because we all know this, how far you go and how far you grow is not only determined by what you believe about God, but it's also determined by what you believe about you. Did you know that? Like, I, I get it. I'll say that again. How far we go in life, how, how we advance in life is not just determined by what we believe about God. And we need to believe right about God. We should have a right view of who God is. But it is also equally impacted by what you think about 
you and what you believe about you. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And how many of you know there are many times where there is an inconsistency between the way God sees you and the way you see you? Is that not true? Like, of course it's true. We get this mixed up. And whoever wins this argument in our mind regarding the way you view you versus the way God views you determines what happens in your life, determines what happens through your life, determines what, what happens to your life. I'll say it like this. The advancement of your life is determined by who wins the argument in your head. That's what it is. Whether or not you advance, whether or not you get rid of these mind monsters that, that, that plague us is based on who wins this battle. And I know some of you are thinking, Colby, how do you know I have arguments in my head? Well, it's not because I read minds. It's because I read God's word. And God's word tells me this, that mental arguments are the expression of a spiritual warfare that's going on in our, our life. In fact, I'll say it like this. You cannot be a child of God and not be an object of attack by the enemy. Just doesn't happen. Like if you're a child of God's, you will be attacked because the enemy wants to convince you that what God says about you isn't true. And this is what he's been doing since the beginning. Now, if I get a little fired up uh, in this, this series called Mind Monsters, it's because I struggle with this. I, I battle with this. In fact, these are challenges for me, these mind monsters, and I think they are for all of us. And what I'm learning is, and hopefully what we learn is, is how to identify the mind monsters over the next several weeks, how to capture the mind monsters and replace them. And the way we replace them is with God's word because God's word is our greatest weapon against this mental warfare that we all have, this mental back and forth, this wrestling in our mind. Are you with me? We're going to use God's word. So in the midst of this, Paul says in Romans 8, chapter 1, he makes this great proclamation. So now there is no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul's saying if you are in Christ, no matter how you feel, no matter what you feel, no matter how you think or what you think, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you belong to him, then you have a righteousness that does not come from you, that comes from him. And so you are not held hostage to these mind monsters. You are not held captive to these, these thoughts. If you are found in him, then it is your right, in fact, it is your privilege of every believer to declare, I am not condemned. How many of you know that's great news for somebody? That's great news for me. Hopefully that's great news for you. You're not condemned. Meaning you don't have to live one moment of your life under the condemnation of the sin that you carry. Past, present, future, that's great news. And what makes this even better, check this out. Romans 8 verse 1 comes directly after Romans 7 verse 23 through 25. I know you're like, that's amazing, Colby. <laughs> See, we put the chapter and the verse break in there to make it easier to locate text, but that wasn't originally there. This is one thought. And so what Paul is specifically telling us, don't miss this, that it's not just the condemnation that comes from without that we're not under anymore. It's also the condemnation that comes from within. 
that you don't have to live subject to, you don't have to bow a knee to anymore, these mind monsters of condemnation in your life. Are you with me? Is that not good news for somebody today? Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. I don't know what it is. But let me say this, because it says, uh, for those in Christ. Now, if you don't know him, uh, and your faith is not yet fixed in him, your hope for, for not just this life, but the life to come is not yet found in Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that before our time is done today. Because I'm praying that you would have an encounter. Our heart is always to introduce as many people as we can to Jesus and the hope that we have in him. But sometimes people will take this verse out of context or they'll, they'll take this verse and chop it up and they will put a period right where Paul puts a comma. And so they'll say, hey, did you hear? There's no condemnation, period. There's no condemnation. And people will take God's word, act like it's a buffet and get to pick and choose the parts that they like and disregard the parts that they don't like. Right? You know what I'm talking about? The mac and cheese has been sitting there for a while. And leave that because they don't want it. So they'll say, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. So in other words, I can live like hell and still one day go to heaven because there is no condemnation. And so I don't need any, any Bible to tell me, especially some archaic you know, moral standards of God's word to tell me how to live my life because there's no condemnation. And what I find is when I talk to people on any level that is halfway intelligent, they don't really think that there is no condemnation. Like, in fact, you would not want to live in a world or exist in a world where there was no condemnation because if someone was to take advantage of your child, molest your child, abuse your child, if you would ask that person, would they want to see punishment and justice brought upon that person, they would say, heck yeah, lock them up. And so what people are saying when they say there's no condemnation and they put a period where, where Paul puts a comma is I don't want condemnation for me. Like I want to live how I want to live, you know, and not be, not be condemned. But I will say this till my, my last breath that I have is there is only one way to be saved from the wrath of God. There's only one way, and it is through Jesus. That's it. Period. And personally, I am glad that God is not only a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath and justice. Because I don't think I'd want to serve a God who ultimately did not punish sin. I, I, I wouldn't want to. So he is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath and of justice. But can I just remind you before I you know, bring the room all down that that wrath and that justice was resolved by Christ and a cross. And if you are in him and found in him, then he does not hold that against you. Then he has been the propitiation for your sins, which is a fancy way of saying Christ took on his back what we deserved. Come on, if you are in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin, and you can stand with Paul like confidence and say, there is no condemnation for me. In fact, you should be able to square your shoulders, hold your head up high, walk out of this room today if you are in Christ and say, there is no condemnation. And what Paul is saying, not only one day, when you die and you get to, to heaven, do you stand free from the penalty of, of sin? When he's, like one day, but he's also telling us that it's today. Today. You're not condemned. Like, like when those, those whispers of the mind monsters start coming into your mind and telling you who you are, telling you things that are no longer true now that you are in Christ, you don't have to, to listen. 
So that is the, that's the theological underpinning of where I want to go. Here's the practical application of all this. I want you to write it down. Four words. Ready for it? I am not condemned. Write that down. In fact, would you say that out loud with me? I am not condemned. Say it again. I am how many of you believe there is power in speaking God's word and speaking it over your life, vocalizing it, putting it out there saying, hey, I'm not condemned. And you know what that means? I am not condemned. I'm not condemned by God. I'm not condemned by others. And I'm also not condemned by myself. I'm not condemned. So I don't have to live in that, that place. I don't have to have that, that mind monster of condemnation constantly keeping me under his thumb. Like, I'm not condemned. And so how does the mind monster of condemnation work? In fact, I think more believers are derailed by condemnation than they are just by sinful living. And what I mean is, is I think more people abandon their faith because they don't feel like they can measure up or they're not worthy or they'll never be worthy of God's love, more so than people abandon their faith just because they went out and got crazy, went out and sinned. And so I want us to recognize how does the, the mind monster of condemnation sound in our life because my goal is to help us identify it so that we can call it what it is and not live uh, in ignorance to the offensive strategy of the enemy in our life. So here's how the mind monster of condemnation operates. It starts through the power of suggestion and mainly in our inability to ever change. Here's the word the mind monster loves to use. The mind monster condemnation. Ready for it? Never. You will never change. You will never be able to get past that. You will never be worthy of God's love. You will never be a good parent. You see everyone else's kids walking around. They look great, nice and tidy. Your kids are a mess. You will never you will never get in physical shape. It's in your genes. You're not going to be able to do it. You will never be made right. You will never. Is anybody with me? This is what it sounds like. Condemnation loves the word never. You will never. Colby, how do you know that's what it, what it sounds like? Because that's the voice that has emerged in my mind. Those are the same things that the enemy has been, been telling me over and over and over again. And condemnation is sneaky. Condemnation is, is tricky. Like I said, it's insidious because it, is, it offers us a counterfeit form of conviction. And what I mean by that is condemnation reveals, on one hand, how much we need to change because we all got stuff. But it simultaneously will tell you you never can. You need to change. You need it because you'll never, you'll never, so you never can change. You will never be different. And my, the My Monster of Condemnation, by the way, doesn't come alone. He's got some friends. You ready for him? I want you to jot these down. He brings along the three amigos with him. The three amigos of rationalization, exaggeration, and isolation. They all work in tandem with condemnation. Because what happens is rationalization first will tell you, hey, this is not that big of a deal. Have another drink. Hey, hey, sleep around. Everybody else is doing it. You might as well do it. It's not that big of a deal. Do that. Drink. Just have another one. Drink another one. Look at that. Go do that. Whatever. That's what rationalization does because rationalization has to work you over before condemnation gets to work, right? Because after rationalization paves the way 
for whatever sin, for whatever thing you step into, then condemnation tells you, you're such a hypocrite. You'll never be able to come back from that. And then exaggeration comes in. You know what exaggeration does? It blows it all up. It takes a single moment where you failed, a single moment where you faltered, a single moment where you lost fortitude and tells you, you will never come back from what you've done. No one will ever love you again. That's called exaggeration. And it's another monster. It comes with condemnation. And that leads to ultimately isolation. Because what do you do when that happens? You're like, all right, well, I guess I have to remove myself from anyone and everyone and start to isolate yourself. This is what condemnation does. Condemnation will cement you into a way of seeing yourself based on an action in a single moment that you made. Condemnation seeks to bury you. It seeks to block God's blessings from your life. It, it wants to eat you alive and destroy you. Condemnation will show you a picture of yourself that is so far from what God intended for your life and cause you to live there. And that's what Paul is telling us. I need you to know if you are in Christ, you never have to come calling when condemnation comes. Ever. Ever. Knock it off. You are not condemned because of what you've done, because of your past, because of your history, because of what you did yesterday, or the day before that, or the day before that, or last year. And people will push back when they hear that and think, well, there's just no way. There's no way. God's got to be mad at me. In fact, this is what people will tell me often. They'll say, PC, if I step into a church, it's going to burn down. You heard that before? It's going to burn down. God's just mad at me. God's going to beat me up. Can I tell you something? God never beats you up. Never does. God will never seek to beat anyone up. We don't seek to do that either, by the way. Like, we get enough of that out in the world. We figure you come in here to be refreshed, to be encouraged, right? To be challenged and convicted, sure, but not to just get beat up more and more. In fact, people will sometimes say, they'll say, Colby, man, me and God, we just had it out. He was kicking my butt. He was kicking my butt. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Not if you're his child, he's not kicking your butt. Like, I'm a dad of four boys that I love, that I want the best lives for. I never once said, you know what, the other day, I was just kicking Jake's butt. Just kicking his butt, making him feel like whatever. No. Don't put, you know, don't attribute that kind of character and nature to God. That's not in God's character. He doesn't beat you up. He does build you up. And he won't condemn you, but he will convict you. He will correct you and convict you, and you'll know the difference. How do we know? It's because he will pick, pick something specifically in your life to speak to you about and cause you to, to lead you to repentance in order to, to bring you up to a higher level, not to beat you down to an even lower level. But condemnation seeks to beat you down, seeks to keep you stuck and paralyzed. It wants to have uh, arrested development in your life, keep you from moving forward. It will cost you time and opportunity. And condemnation isn't something that you can simply reduce out of your life. You have to ruthlessly eliminate it. <laughs> ruthlessly get rid of it. In fact, uh, many of you know that our social media users on Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter, some of the other ones, I don't even know what the other ones are, but there are a couple buttons uh, that I've heard about on there, there are the unfriend and the unfollow button. You know what I'm talking about? So whenever someone that you follow is posting things that aren't building you up, that aren't speaking life into you, 
They're just kind of doing other things to tear you down. Guess what you get to do? You don't have to listen anymore. You can just hit unfollow, right? Unfriend. See you later. There's also another button. It's called block. And that block button allows you to block people from seeing what you do, from seeing the way that you live your life. Some of you, when it comes to the mind monster of condemnation, you need to find the unfollow and unfriend and block button. Are you with me? And get rid of it. Once and for all. In fact, I would just get rid of social media altogether. And if you've ever thought about it, I think an election year is a great time to get rid of social media. I'm just throwing that out there. Just saying. It's about to get crazy. But the reason why we don't is because condemnation is a master communicator. Because sometimes it will roll up on you like a thug and yell at you and say, you never will be able to change. You never will be worthy. But other times, you know what condemnation will do too? Because it's sneaky. It'll just whisper in your ear. It'll say, who do you think you are to step out in faith and take a risk for God? Who do you think you are to try to raise up to another level of living? You're such a hypocrite. It's okay. Just live down here in this level. That's how condemnation works. As long as it can keep you from becoming who you are in Christ. That's his goal. And, and our goal, by the way, is we want you to experience your full potential in Christ. That's why we say we, we don't do membership here at this church. You know, we just, we want to see God use you according to the way he's created you and made you. We want you to first of all know God, like know him so that you know God and God knows you. We want you to find friends, get connected to people. We feel like that's where freedom is found. God's word, you know, supports that. And we want you to discover your purpose, make a difference. And right now at 1130, they're having Explore week one happening right across the way. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done Explore yet, because this is the time you normally come, hey, next week, come earlier and go to week two of Explore. Are you with me? Like we want to help you discover why it is God created you and hopefully give you an opportunity to reach your full potential. So come back. That's my commercial time for Explore. All right, here we go. In this series, I really am asking you to lean in for the next five weeks. Five weeks. Like commit to being here. Because if we have 50,000 Negative thoughts on repeat in our minds. How valuable is it to wash our minds as much as we can with, with God's word? Because the enemy, by the way, he cannot operate where there's knowledge. He cannot operate where there's light. He can only operate in the dark. And he thinks that even if he can keep us in the dark, then we will stay stuck. And so we're going to get down and dirty with these mind monsters so we'll never have to give in to that, that garbage again because after all, band, you guys can help me finish this out. After all, we must not carry the condemnation on ourselves that Christ himself carried to the cross. I think one of the, yeah, come on. One of the, one of the most tragic things we can do is to continue to drag and carry something in our life that Jesus gave his life for. And so there's no need for you to stay there. There's no need for you to carry it with you. You can let it go. Jesus gave his life so that you could. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, he became sin who knew no sin so that you might be the righteousness of God. 
the righteousness made right with God. So you don't have to listen to that garbage anymore. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to give into that in your life, the, the condemning thoughts. In fact, I learned this from a, a guy named uh, T.D. Jakes, the great bishop T.D. Jakes. And he was talking about how we are needing to learn to finish the devil's sermons. And what he meant was every time the devil starts to speak to you through condemnation and say, you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. Here's, here's what I would used to do. I used to pull myself up by my bootstraps and be like, yes, I am. I got this. Maybe watch a few more TED Talks, you know, get myself fired up. Some TED Talks or some Tony Robbins. Right, put some Tony Robbins in here. I got this. I do have what it takes. I can do it. I can do it. And he says, no, no, no. You need to finish the devil's sermon for him. So when he says you don't have what it takes and, and your, your nature is to like look in the mirror and say, yes, I do. I, I got this. And what he's doing is he's seeking to take you to a place where you would say, I don't have what it takes. And so why even try? If I'm never going to be worthy... Why even bother? How many of you have been there? If I'm never going to get past this addiction, if I'm never going to get beyond this, why even, even try? But he says, no, 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 you got to tag team that message from the enemy. So when he says, you don't have what it takes, you're to say, you know what? You're right. I don't have what it takes, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Are you with me? I don't have what it takes, but no weapon formed against me will prosper. I don't have what it takes, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I don't have what it takes, but it's in my weakness that his strength is perfected. So you take that message of the enemy and you turn it around because when you understand you don't have what it takes, it positions you to receive from a God who has more than you will ever need. Are you with me? So when he tells you, you're not worthy of being loved. You're not worthy of the love of God. You say, well, thank you for reminding me. I'm not worthy of God's love. But fortunately, my identity does not come from whether I am lovable. My identity comes from the fact that what can separate me from his love, neither height nor depth. Are you with me? You take that message of the enemy. You grab it and you throw it right back in his face. And if you do it enough times, guess what? He will stop preaching to you. He will stop sending those condemning thoughts because he does not like the conclusion that you are bringing to his message because you are bringing God's word to that garbage. And what I love about this more, more than anything, perhaps, is that when we see, you know, we are not condemned if we are in Christ Jesus, put that verse back up there because a lot of times we'll say, well, one day when I get to heaven, then I won't be condemned. One day when I get to heaven, I'll be free from all these mind monsters. One day when I get to heaven and everything is good and all that, then, then I'll be, but what does it say? So what? What's that second word? So say that again. When? Now. Right now. So in the middle of your stress, there is no condemnation. In the middle of your fight, 
there is no condemnation. In the middle of your pain, in the middle of your, of your bad mistakes, in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your depression, in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of your worry, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on, can we stand to our feet and celebrate God's word? My prayer is this in this series, that we would identify these monsters, but more than that, more than that, that you would learn to wash your minds with God's word. Because this is what we need. In fact, I think more than anything, we need, we need peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So let the peace of God that transcends our understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So let the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You do not have to stay subject to condemnation. Are you with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would speak to our hearts, that you would guard our minds when condemnation comes calling, that you would begin to free us right now from anxiety, fear, depression, worry, doubt, the pain of our past, our history, our bad mistakes. God, you don't hold them against us if we are in Christ. So give us the strength and the power to break the back of fear break the back of anxiety, break the back of depression, break the back of worry, break the back of condemnation in our life so that we can live in the fullness that you have for us. And so God, we know that we can't do this apart from you. We know that the enemy would love to tell us that we don't have what it takes. And apart from you, we don't. And so God, that's why we desperately need you to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And while we're praying, for those of you that are not yet in Christ, when we say in Christ, we mean you have come to that place where you understand you needed a savior, you were a sinner, and you needed to confess your sins and put your trust that Jesus, his death on the cross, paid for your sins once and for all, and you've never done that but you wanna be free from this guilt and shame and condemnation that you carry, knowing that Jesus took it to the cross on your behalf, today is your day to say, Jesus, I give it to you. I trust that what you did on the cross saved me from my sin. And if that's you today, I wanna to lead you in a prayer that puts your faith in Jesus. In fact, I'm gonna ask those of you in the room that are in Christ to pray this out loud with those around you. They want to pray this for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time and you're just coming home to who God is and what Jesus has done for you. You say, that's me. I pray something like this. Pray it out loud. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so right now, I confess you as Lord and Savior. I repent and I turn towards you. Take my life 
in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I pray for every one of us that made that decision today. That you would begin to, to grow and develop fruit in their life that would be reflective of the decision that they made here and now. And God, I pray that you would help us all in the next few weeks experience this peace, this peace, this unbelievable peace of God that transcends our understanding. This peace of God that guards our heart, that guards our mind. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.